Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-36. Even though your actions on the outside look beautifully clean, what fuels your actions on the inside is filthy, as filthy as human excrement. I am not impressed with your clean outside if your inside is filthy. I want you to be fueled by my spirit and by my holiness or set apart from the inside towards the outside. Hello there, and once again, welcome to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. Joining me will be Suzanne, my wife, and uh, she'll be uh, talking about a few things that are on her heart. And as far as what we're going to be dealing with today, why I exchanged salami for pastrami. She actually did a, uh, a lecture teaching series to a local group here in this area on uh, some of these uh, principles. And so uh, we have decided, well, maybe we should just finish it off and talk to you folks about uh, some of these things uh, that we've uh, come across here in our uh, studies of the Word and of Scripture, okay? Suzanne, welcome uh, to the program again. It's nice to have you here to uh, chat with us. Hi, Avi. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. Understanding at least why I exchanged my salami for pastrami and why this is going so much deeper than just whether we eat healthy or not in terms of physical food. So let's get going. The uh, title of our uh, podcast here today is Yes, But... In the days of Yeshua and the Second Temple period, so much of the Jewish religious world was quite seriously immersed in an overzealousness and pursuit of spiritual knowledge so that when Paul came on the scene many years later, he wrote to the Yeshua believers in Rome saying to them concerning his own brethren something very, very important that I think you need to be reminded of. It is from Romans 10, verse 3. Suzanne, why don't you go ahead and read that for us, if you would, please? Romans 10, verse 3. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but are not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, or His way of making us just, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, their justness, have not submitted to the righteousness or the justness of God. So really, the essential element of this particular passage or these particular words penned by uh, Shaul is that uh, Yehovah has his way of making us just or righteous. In other words, giving us a redemption from the um, tree of the knowledge of good and evil and from what happened way, way, way back in the Garden of Eden when that transformation took place, when Adam and Eve are 
first parents decided that uh, they did not want to pursue the oneness with Jehovah, but chose instead to pursue a oneness with a tree that was a teaching tree of some sort, whatever the fruit was. I think what is more relevant is the fact that uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil put us on a different trajectory or a different program that was aimed at making ourselves just or making ourselves righteous or justified by what we do rather than what our Father in Heaven does, because He knew that we could never, ever make ourselves pure, holy, just, innocent, blameless by anything that we could do. I don't care how much Torah you think you can observe and be so perfect at. It doesn't matter because we're all going to come up short. No matter how much you try, you will come up short at one point or another. And Jehovah knows that. So he knew that there was no way that we, by our own actions, our own works of justification and justness, that we could somehow... Uh, find ourselves changing the situation that happened back in the garden. So Shaul writes that he bears them, his brethren, the witness that it is not according to knowledge, which is always surrounding the idea of experience. This is not righteousness according to experiential knowledge, but it's putting it into our intellectual knowledge. And that is what he refers to by saying that they were seeking to establish their own justification program by their actions and not by submitting to what Jehovah wanted for us. So this obviously leads us to ask the all-important question, are the New Testament passages that we are going to speak about teaching us that we are just, we are righteous, we are justified, blameless, innocent, and perfect because of obeying the Hebrew scriptures in regards to the dietary laws that have been given? Is that how we are going to gain our status? Or should we rather say that because we have made justification or the justness through the completed work of Yeshua, therefore we wish to respond to our God and our King by first seeking after His kingdom and His justness or righteousness, in other words, his program, which then leads us to obey the Hebrew Scripture dietary laws. In other words, what we're doing here is purely by response, not by some forced hand that requires us to do this, or else he simply doesn't love us. I'm saying it's a response. So that's where we're at here on our program today. It's interesting, Avi, that we either find ourselves so often in one of two camps. One where we 
put in so much effort and sweat and hard work to try and earn our salvation and we try and keep Torah in whatever form comes from our tradition and our culture. So we either try so hard to earn it or we throw out the whole thing, the baby with the bathwater kind of expression. And we say, this is too hard, so I'm not doing any of it at all. Mm-hmm. Where, as you were saying, it's our love response. So he makes us justified through his work and his actions. And then he works it out in us through his indwelling spirit. Mm -hmm. And then together he works it in us. So if we're saying we can't do it, then do we just ignore the Torah totally and say it's the Torah that's bad? And it's not. So he will write his Torah on our hearts, not by might or power or own efforts, Mm -hmm. but by his spirit. When we get to this discussion here, this is not about establishing righteousness anymore. This is a discussion to people that have been declared just in the eyes of God. So this is now that you are just, Mm -hmm. now how shall you live? Mm -hmm. And in the context of the time when this was written, it was never about if they should obey Torah, but how they should obey Torah. I don't think that an intellectual discussion on these scriptures that we're going to do will really change your heart. It will change your understanding, but it won't change your heart. And for myself, no amount of scriptural understanding could ever make my decision for me. I had to get to a point where I came face to face with my own heart, which basically said, I don't want to give up my bacon for breakfast. I don't want to give up the foods that I eat. I want to be free and do just what I want. And only when I came face to face with that and all my own excuses and my seemingly spiritual excuses vanished away like vapor, like dew when the sun comes up. Only then did I realize that my problem is my flesh is against the Torah and against God. Mm. So I'm hoping that for you that have joined us all the way here, you've already decided to make a heart change and that our discussion here is to give you understanding. So when you are challenged on your choice, that you can give a reason for what you're doing. And that is my goal here. So, um, Abi, do you want to continue and let's discuss a bit the scriptural mandate we have as believers in terms of mm-hmm. how we are to eat? Yeah, I do, actually. The scriptural mandate comes actually from uh, two places in uh, the Mosaic Torah, Vayikra, Leviticus 11.2, and there's also passages in the volume of Deuteronomy chapter 14. But let's let's take a look first at Leviticus or Vayikra chapter 11, verse 2. Speak to the sons of Israel, which is important in and of itself. And then uh, the statement goes on in Hebrew to say, Lemor Zot, Lemor Zot. If it were to speak in the masculine form, meaning to the sons of Israel, B'nai Israel, it would say, Lemor Ze, Lemor Ze, but it doesn't say that. It says, Lemor Zot. He says, speak to B'nai Israel, and then he calls B'nai Israel by a feminine term, Zot. So it's telling me that B'nai Israel is seen by Yehovah as a bride in the feminine form. And he says, say unto her. That's what it's saying. And all of the, the grammar here in the Hebrew, is addressing B'nai Israel in the feminine. 
which is very, very interesting in and of itself. And he says, say unto her, these are the living creatures. The Hebrew here is hachayah, which you may eat among all the living creatures that are on the earth. So this is a definitive list of what you can and cannot eat on the condition that you want to be part of Israel. So I'd like you, uh, Suzanne, to read a relevant passage to us written by Shaul from Ephesians 5, 24 through 27. This dovetails so beautifully with what you were saying here about say unto her or towards her as his bride. So Ephesians 5, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, just as the congregation or the assembly is subject to Messiah, so let the woman be to her own husband in all. Husband, love your wife, just as Messiah also loved the assembly and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify or set her apart and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious congregation or assembly, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy or set apart and without blemish. How beautiful is this, showing that just as the assembly is subject to Messiah, so wives are to be to their husbands, because we are in that a picture of Messiah and his bride, and he washes and cleanses her by the water of his word, and then she is set apart, sanctified, unto him. And that is why we as believers are to allow him to wash us with his word and sanctify us in the eyes of the nations so that we can be co-workers with him to show the beauty of his redemption plan through the way we live now that we are saved. So when we look at passages from Vayikra or Leviticus, you're going to notice something very interesting. In Vaikra Leviticus chapter 11, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 12, 13, 23, 28, 31, 35, 38, 43, and 44. And I stopped right about there because there's a number of these places. It very specifically says in Hebrew, hem lechem, meaning the uncleannesses, they, the uncleannesses, that's hem lechem, towards you, lechem, towards you. So the uncleannesses are actually to you or towards you. And that's how he puts it. So it's uh, two different words in Hebrew, but it's saying these uncleannesses, these impurities are going to remain as impure if you put it toward you. The Torah is not specifying that we all must must, absolutely must keep the Torah and eat clean. If you want to have your bacon and your pork and your shellfish and whatever else you want to eat, and you want to eat bugs for that matter, you know, you can do it. Yes, you can do it. It's okay. Do it if you want. But the caveat is you cannot be called Israel. 
You can't be Israel. So if you want to do those things and you just don't want to give it up, my friend, I say to you, do what you want to do. That's okay. If you don't want to be part of Israel, fine. But the Hebrew here says lechem, towards you, that this list of all the things that we can and cannot eat that are called ochel or food, they all are defined by the Hebrew expression, these are unclean toward you. So you will be the one that determines whether you want to be part of Israel, and if you don't. And if you do, then you will not do those things as the nations do. You won't eat the things that the nations eat. You won't. Plain and simple. Yeah, and again, from our previous podcasts, I hope that those who have, again, joined us up to this point will see that this is important to Yehovah, not just because he's thinking, well, pork might contain some parasite that's not good for you. In the way that he has defined food and the way that he wants us to eat, his whole gospel message, his whole redemptive plan, and the same challenge that Adam and Eve had in front of those two trees and which Messiah, which word do we follow, all of that is embedded in this. And in Leviticus 11 verse 45, if I can just read that, mm -hmm. For I am Yehovah who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore, so that means if he has brought us out, therefore be kadosh, be set apart. For I am Kadosh set apart. And just as he is set apart from all the other Elohim or gods out there, he wants us as a nation. You've been grafted in, right? So he wants us as a people in him to be set apart from all the other peoples. Hmm. And it's almost like when we got married, Avi, you say that you are setting me apart Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Sanctified, yeah. Yeah. So then it means that I don't look around anymore for other husbands because I'm content I have found the husband. It's so beautiful to me that Jehovah says here that he's not looking around for other nations. He chose Israel to be his nation through which he will work to get the other nations as well to walk in his ways. But mm. he says, no other nation has a set of laws like you do, Israel. Mm -hmm. I am set apart for you. And then he says, in that same way, I want you to not look around. I want you to be set apart for me. Let's work together as a married couple and let's go and change the world. Mm. And that's why he's saying he's set apart to us. And he wants us to likewise, like he's saying as a husband, he's not going to be sleeping with other women. He's set apart to us and mm. he wants us to likewise say we are set apart to him and walking in his ways and not look around to other words or other trees, but be washed by the water of his word. I had this picture of uh, being set apart to listen to other teachings and doctrines that the New Testament refers to as not being sound doctrine. Doctrines of demons, right? Well, we're going to get into that yeah. in, uh, in actually in Timothy, he taught, yeah. So in Deuteronomy, Devilim chapter 14 is another of the uh, repeated list of the acceptable or permitted foods 
that we are allowed to eat. That passage in Deuteronomy also kind of highlights what was spoken of in Vayikra or Leviticus. And in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 7, verse 10, and 19, it gives this list of foods that are not permitted. And uh, at the end of the statement, it says they have uncleannesses or they have impurities tame towards you. So again, it uses that terminology, lechem, towards you. Like when we discussed in our previous podcasts that he's taking this gray, this mixture that the enemy sold to us in the garden, and he's again taking this bucket of gray paint, and he's bringing distinction so that our choices are being made clear. I've made you through my justness. Now I want you to walk in this way. And now he's bringing this distinction so that we are a living metaphor through our lives. We're daily showing how Israel has a different walk in a different way than the nations have. And in that he's showing choose between these two trees. So this set apart is very important because we have to live like a different tree so that we're not just one gray world. So that's why he says, don't eat it, because I don't want you to be impure. And Again, we are not distinct from the nations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 100%. So <clears throat> with that, <clears throat> I would like now to get into the uh, set-apartness or the holiness issues of the Hebrew Scripture, okay? I would start with um, Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy, Devarim chapter 12, verse 30, here is what Jehovah spoke to Moshe, Moses, and told him to tell the feminine bridal congregation of Israel. Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them. The context is the nations, after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? Uh, Hey, I'll also do likewise. So he says, don't say that. I don't want you doing what they do. I want you to be set apart to me. And so we learn much later on through the words of the prophet Yermayahu, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2. Do not learn the way of the Goyim or the Gentiles. So there he makes it very clear. He does not want us following what they do, how they think, what they eat, what they do in their lives, the festivals and the things that they keep and think that they are so good at doing. Don't do it. We're a strange lot of people, aren't we? That scripture that says our fathers have inherited lies, I think that is true for all of us. We all come out of some kind of a tradition that is a mixture of God's ways and the ways of the world. This is going to take a lifetime for us, learning which lies we have inherited. For myself, um, I've already exchanged my Christmas tree for a menorah. And um, even though I've already changed my salami for pastrami, I still have ways that Yah is still showing me along the way that not only just traditions and lies, but other lies that I believe about myself or about the world or about people around me. And this will be a process 
till the day that I die and when I see him at the resurrection day face to face, I will be changed, totally changed. But in the meantime, it's him working it out in us. And again, like we read Leviticus 11 verse 45, you shall therefore be kadosh, set apart, for I am kadosh, set apart. And he says to us in Deuteronomy 14 verse 21, for you are a set apart people. We are kadosh or holy to Jehovah our Elohim. So it's allowing him to come into our lives and to show us where we've inherited lies and to lead us in this journey of changing. And we all have inherited different traditions and different lies, and we all have our personal journey. So this is very individual. It's not a place for us to judge one another or about where have you come out of yet or where you haven't. But it's each one of us being led by the Holy Spirit in terms of our individual situation and leading us out of those things so that we can be this nation that lives the tree of life to the nations out there. When scripture says to be set apart or to be kadosh to our God, it is defined as being separated from the people, from the goyim, from the nations out there. This separation does not mean what we think it means. Okay, we're going to take a short break and then return to continue with the issue of the biblical kosher laws, asking the question that oftentimes comes up, does the Brihadashah or New Testament abrogate or cancel the dietary laws of Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. Stay with us. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-36. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben-Mordechai. Once again, hello there. This is Avi Ben-Mordechai with Real Israel Talk Radio. Let's now continue where we left off, asking the question that oftentimes comes up with discussions about Brihadashah, New Testament theology, and that is, have the dietary laws of Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14 Have they been canceled by New Testament grace? The people in Yeshua's day, they had a different view of what being separated meant. The Pharisees, the Purushim, they had their own view on it. Now, first, let me give you the true application, as I would understand it, in the Scripture. Set-apartness or separatedness to Yehovah means separated from the actions and behaviors of the goyim, the heathen, the pagans, the nations surrounding us, meaning don't copy them. That's what we learned from Jeremiah 10 verse 2 and also in Deuteronomy 12 verse 30. Don't copy them. But there is a false application of this, which is where many of us get stuck. Yes, what it doesn't mean is that we have to form a holy huddle that views ourselves as greater as everyone else 
and then look down upon the rest and separate from all of them and we don't even associate with them because they are morally and spiritually defiled and unclean and associating with them will defile us. So we go and live on our holy mountain and look down on all the dirty goyim and that's not what we are meant to do. We are meant to separate and live our lives differently, as Avi said, actions and behaviors. And we are to do that in the face of the Goyim, not to elevate ourselves above them, but to live the light so that they can be drawn unto it. If we separate ourselves on a holy island or a holy mountain somewhere, then we have no way of drawing them to the light. And the whole redemption story is not only redeeming a nation called Israel. It's by marrying a nation called Israel and together redeeming all the nations. God wants the whole world to be drawn to Him. And if we don't associate with them anymore, how can we ever be a light unto the nations? Mm, Very well said. So this would bring us to Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 26. This is going to be how Yeshua saw the problem in his day. I think it's going to boil down to the inside versus the outside, or if you will, the outside versus the inside, or even what Paul was referring to as the outer man versus the inner man. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Interesting, he doesn't say, don't clean the outside of the cup. He doesn't say, don't live out the changed metaphors. The priority is to start with the inside and then the outside reflects what is true on the inside. So, you know, that actually uh, ties very accurately into uh, a statement that was made by Jehovah to the prophet Yehezkiel or Ezekiel. And uh, if you wish, you can turn to chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. Chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. Yehovah says to Ezekiel, you shall eat some barley cakes and to bake them and to cook them so that he can eat them in front of the people of his generation that were going into the exile, but they were still in Jerusalem. And the purpose was to bake it using the fuel of human waste. Mm. Uh, in their sight. You know, this is human excrement. That's what he wants Ezekiel to bake the the barley cakes on that human excrement, which actually is kind of gross if you ask me. And so Yehovah then says, so shall the sons or children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the goyim where I will drive them. So I said to Yehovah, Oy, 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 or that's what we say in Hebrew, Oy, 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 Adonai Elohim. Indeed, 
I have never defiled myself from my youth until now. I have never eaten what died of itself or what was torn by beasts, nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. And when he said this, I can really understand what he's saying. Essentially, if you were to put it into kind of how I would understand it, I think he's saying, look, I'm not going to do that any more than I'm going to do this over here. I've never eaten anything impure in my entire life. So if I don't do that, why would I in the world ever do something even like this that you're asking me to do? That's just plain old gross. Don't make me do that. So Yehovah then comes back to him and he says, okay, look, I see your point. <laughs> I understand how you're feeling here. I'm going to give you cow excrement, cow dung, what we call cow patties, okay? Instead of human waste or human excrement, and you can prepare the bread that I'm telling you to prepare. You can prepare it over that. Yeah, this is a very interesting lesson. And um, to me, it seems what he was trying to say here, Israel, your inside is so filthy. And in your inside, you are living no different than the nations. So you basically are no different than the nations because you haven't allowed me to change you on the inside. So if you live like the goyim, then live among the goyim and be associated with them because you are not being my bride. So in terms of inside and outside, he's saying what is fueling your actions, even though your actions on the outside look beautifully clean, what fuels your actions on the inside is filthy, as filthy as human excrement. And I am not impressed with your clean outside if your inside is filthy. I want you to be fueled by my spirit and by my holiness or set apart from the inside towards the outside. And your outside observance without the inside means nothing to me. I suppose it would be like if you, Avi, were going to bring me a bunch of beautiful flowers. So on the outside, you bring me gifts or flowers or whatever. But your inside, your heart is far from me. And I know you're cheating on me with another woman. Then I'm not going to care about your beautiful outside flowers. I'm going to throw them in the bin so they mean nothing to me. If your heart, if your inside is far from me, what makes you think mm. your outside is going to be in any way pleasing to me? Mm. And he's saying if your inside is as the goyim, then go and be with the ones you choose. I will drive you among them because you have chosen to be like them. You have not let me set you apart from the inside out. So what you're saying is that Israel on the inside is impure, regardless of what they're keeping and observing on the outside. But it seems to me he's saying, you have chosen a different God. You mm -hmm. are not set apart to me. And therefore, go and live with the ones that you have chosen to be like. You have made your choice, and I will give you your choice. And I will drive you to live among them, not to be defiled by them, but because you already are defiled like them. So I would see this as, you know, doing the festivals, doing Passover, doing Sukkot, doing, you know, these festivals, eating kosher, doing all the things that God has asked us to do in the Torah. But on the inside, that's the inside of the cup, 
the behaviors and the actions and the thoughts are all morally and spiritually corrupt. The inside is a spiritual, moral cesspool of all kinds of corruption and horrible, horrible things. Yeah, it's so much easier to clean the outside, isn't it? The inside is the hard one. It's the one we, that we can so easily run away from. And that's the one that's it's all about our heart. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is in our hearts. Mm. And if we want to banish him to our outside where he is purely about what we eat and what feasts we keep and if we're banishing him to that area but he's not allowed to clean us up on the inside it seems that he's going to end up banishing us to live among the goyim where they don't have him changing them that's the harder one to do is Mm. having ourselves changed on the inside and this is a good background now to the yes but verses of the new testament so there are a couple of different technical terms that i want to go over with you so that you can write them down or be aware of them in yeshua's day the people of that generation particularly of the religious people the people that were walking in uh, orthodox religion of the day, they had a principle that they followed, which was then understood through two Greek terms that were used in the New Testament. The term is what is called associations of defilement or associations of uncleanness, or you could put it the other way around, defilement by association or defilement by uncleanness. In other words, who you're hanging out with determines whether they are a conduit of the uncleanness so that their defilement, their uncleanness kind of jumps onto you and clings to you on the inside. That's what people were really afraid of particularly among the religious of that generation. So the Greek terms for it are koinos and akatartos. I'm pretty sure for those of you that know and speak and understand Greek will real well, uh, please do give me a little bit of grace in this, okay? Because it's not my mother tongue here, okay? But it's akatartos. So koinos and akatartos. And uh, koinos, you'll recognize that from the word koine Greek or common Greek. And an akatartos is the Greek term for this um, uncleanness or defilement thing that happens. So when you put the two words together and they show up together in a few passages of Scripture, when you put them together, it means common and unclean. So they applied the Torah instruction of being set apart, they interpret it as meaning that they are not to associate with those that are defiled and unclean, instead of interpreting as they should change their own actions and behaviors as to not be the same as those who are defiled and unclean. And that led to a lot of misconceptions and it led to a challenge where we will look at some verses and see how that caused some confusion and the scriptures we read about the first century believers also had to change their ways and change some of the lies that they inherited in order to walk according to truth. Okay, so let's get into some of these challenging New Testament passages 
that are quite often misunderstood as they are compared to the overall teaching of Scripture. The people of that generation were very much influenced by what the Pharisees and the Purushim and the Sadducees and the scribes, what they were coming up with as far as interpreting the texts of the Torah. So they were very, very much influenced by that kind of thinking. So when Yeshua calls them together and he says, look, people, let me tell you what's going on here. And he goes in and he explains it to them. Suzanne, I'd like you to read Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, if you would, please. So it says, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. So this is what we're talking about. It's our insides that make us morally defiled. My neighbor that has not been saved or come to be grafted into Israel, my neighbor and the way he lives cannot defile my inner man. Only my own heart can defile my inner man. And he says, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. So if it's our own hearts that defile us on the inside, what would be the point of separating from that unbeliever, thinking he's going to defile my heart? He's not. And then Yeshua entered into the house away from the people, and his disciples asked him. And he said unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? So it cannot defile his inner man, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. And then in some versions we'll say in brackets, thus he declared all foods clean. Yeah, so we have that some manuscripts are saying, thus he declared all foods clean clean. Let me give you a little part of what I'm seeing here. In the religious circles of Judaism, whether it was in Yeshua's day or even today, this is about a very specific practice of what is called nitilat yadaim. Nitilat yadaim. That is, the immersing of the hands and washing, using a very special cup for washing all the impurity off of the hands. And also in Yeshua's day, it was going all the way up until the elbow. There was a certain place up to the elbow where you would wash before you ate anything and before anything like that happened. You always did a washing ceremony. Why did they do that? Because they believed that spiritual impurity was still very much clinging to the one doing the immersion from associations. If you have the wrong associations, or if you're not doing something ritually correct, you're doing it incorrect, these kinds of associations, not just among the goyim, but also associations with people, even your own brethren, who are not doing things the way you understand them to be done, 
even in that case, you can contract their moral, spiritual uncleanness or impurity because anyone who isn't doing it as you're supposed to be doing it or as you think you're supposed to do it, they then become a forbidden association. They're like a coronavirus, right? Too close to them, they're going to infect you. You can imagine if they had to go to the market to buy their food, and in the market will be all kinds of people hanging around. So buying food at the market, then going home and preparing and eating it. Because even today, I know when I went to Israel for the first time in 2011, how amazed I was to see this ritual of the hand washing, there isn't even a temple. Ritual purity or impurity doesn't have any meaning today without a temple, but moral impurity has. We all have inherited lies that we have to make changes to walk in His truth. Even in many Messianic synagogues, you know, I led one as well a number of years ago, we had the moral spiritual ritual of Nitilat Yadaim, which means every time we would eat, you will wash hands and make sure that everything is done properly, even sometimes with a special cup that has two handles on both sides of it. And you start left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand. You do it six times. You say the blessing and it's all done. That's niti Yadaim. And that is not just, oh, get your hands clean so you can eat food. That is a moral, spiritual ritual that is supposed to remove impurities and other things out of your insides so that you can then partake of the bread and the wine, the hamotzi. And so this is a practice that was done back then, only not just the hands, but also all the way up to the elbow. You had to do it the right way. If you got it wrong the first time, you have to do it again. But my point is that this process of what they were doing back then using it all the way to the elbows, if you were even a faithful kind of Jew and you didn't do it that way, then if a religious Orthodox Jew saw that you were not doing it the right way and you refused to do it the right way, if you actually didn't want to do it that way, they would have to accept the fact that you are now a forbidden association. Because if they associate with you, they will contract a defilement of associations. And this brings the context of what we read here in Mark 7, where Yeshua is saying, what he has declared clean is clean. And with man-made rules, if he says a nice piece of lamb is clean and allowed for you to eat, then you're not doing a man-made ceremonial hand-washing and then touching the meat will not defile that meat. You don't have the ability to defile what he has called clean. In the context here, how they would have defined food would not be the way we define food today. Mm -hmm. Food mm -hmm. would have been defined to them purely as Torah-defined food. Mm -hmm. So declaring all food clean would mean that we cannot, with our man-made laws, define what he has called food in, let's say, Leviticus, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. isn't declaring unfood food. This is declaring what he has called mm -hmm. food clean, whether you follow man-made laws or not. So I would just like to make a clarification so that everyone understands that when the text says, and thus he declared 
all foods clean, that is correct. So he was saying all foods are morally clean inside when you are eating food. As he defines food. Yeah, exactly. So what he was saying, if I understand it correctly, it's not the associations that you're making that are determining whether uh, some particular food or some particular action or some particular person or a society or things like that. It's not that those things make you impure that defile you. That's all he was saying. And it's based on these two Greek words that oftentimes appear in many of the texts of the New Testament, koinos and akathartos, the idea of moral impurity based on your associations with those kinds of people and things out there. That's all he was saying. So the true application is, according to Torah, to separate from the actions and behaviors of the goyim, don't copy them. The false application would be to imply that we have to separate from all of them and not even associate with them, whoever the them is in your life. And in that context, it would have been the people who don't follow these man-made laws of how to wash their hands and because they would all be morally defiled and unclean and they would then, through association, defile the food that you're eating and then I become defiled if I don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. And that's why they asked why do your disciples not wash their hands? Why are they not following Torah? But the Torah that they were challenging Yeshua and his disciples on wasn't the law of Moses. This was the oral Torah that men came up with. Thanks for joining us today here on Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. And with me is Suzanne. You know, we're candidly chatting about the issues of what is considered food in the biblical teachings and narratives of the New Testament, also referred to as Brihadashah, and why we should, in fact, be observing the Hebrew Scripture Biblical Kosher Laws of Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, when we come back on our next podcast, we're going to continue with our closer examination and to some of the more challenging New Testament passages that are really quite often misunderstood and misapplied when it comes to our eating habits. So if you will, join us next time for episode program number six, part six, here on Real Israel Talk Radio. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi ben Mordechai. If you have a comment or a question, send us an email addressed to questions at cominghome.co.il. Again, questions at cominghome.co.il. 